time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly in for our regular gig. I'm back in town. How that, are you, John? That's Hancock? unbelievable. I uh, I forgot I forgot what you look like there. Yeah, it's good to see you. I yeah. notice you've been uh, uh, here uh, holding up the fort for Amy Marks course. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm the Aldi's of radio hosts. I'm, I provide the affordable alternative. Yeah. Yes. I didn't get a chance to see you since uh, Halloween. Uh, how was it with the new grandbaby? Well, she was great. She was uh, she and her mom and her dad were unicorns. Oh, and uh, just precious. You know, Tula is now 19 months old. Is that right? And uh, she's just getting more precious every day. And yeah, Halloween was good. We had, you know, we we put the the bowl out because so, we went to the right. kids' house, right? So, and, and Georgianne, of course, has got the house all decorated for Halloween. They got the little pumpkin that has the ghost that pops up out of it, and. Uh, uh, she had the orange lights around the door. So uh, we put the candy bowl out and uh-huh. a little sign that says, please take two pieces. Uh-huh. Uh, help yourself to two pieces or something like that. And, of course, you've got the ring cam. Right, right. So it was all it was all good. And I there was one of these I saw on, uh, on the Internet where a group of adults came up to some house and they took all the candy. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, I did. So we had a, a lone adult. It just came out. It only took two pieces, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, it was just. It just decided that uh, he was trick or treating, and yeah. you had it laying out. Yeah. Did you get any kids? Because so many people not are many. telling me they're not getting anybody anymore. These trunk or treats are kind of taking over. Yeah, and and we did not have many. I, you know, Gus only went off uh, two or three times, I think. <laughs> but now the neighbor down the street, who's, you know, they've got, I guess, our section of the neighborhood must not have a lot of kids in it. But down the street, she had 138 kids. Wow. So, well, they know she gives away the big candy. Apparently, bonus. that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of course, Halloween's gone, which means Christmas is here. I don't know if you watched the football game last night. I was watching it. Yeah. And 25% of the commercials were, uh, you know, Christmas commercials. I love you know, waiting for them to. By the way, are you getting Georgie in one of those cars with a big red bow on it this year, like that? You know, how realistic is that commercial? I've got a. I'm going to put a big red bow on me, Michael. And uh-huh. uh, I mean, I can't think of a better present that anyone could receive. Isn't it, I find that commercial to be insulting. I mean, who who's like, oh, I'm just going to go out and buy my significant other a new automobile? It happens, I guess. I, I guess, and you know, uh, people are doing the one percenters. Maybe uh, can do that, but the rest of us are. You know, it's a major decision to yeah, go out there and buy a car. Yeah, it's hard for the two percenters such as yourself, Kelly. Who, uh, oh, stop uh, it. You know, stop hang it. Hang with the Joneses. Out. But I, uh, I'm i grateful that we uh, have slid through October, and now we're headed into November. Can you believe that Thanksgiving's less than three weeks away? Yes, love Thanksgiving. And you've got to go. Will you be preparing your regular feast? Yeah, I don't know. So we're kind of in a transition mode. We're kind of like the Republican Party. Yeah. Uh, so oh, in, in free fall? No, but we had been the, the Thanksgiving host for years uh-huh. at our house. And then the last year we did it at, at Mary Catherine's place, Ben Brad's. And so I don't know that the, I'm sure the decision has been made. It's just not been communicated down to us peons yeah. down the food chain. So I'm the only boy, five sisters. I'm the only one who's not married. So, you know, they, they're having the big Thanksgiving talk the other day. Are we coming? What should I bring? What, you know, what can I start to prepare? So I throw it in. What could I bring? 
You, nobody ever like, oh, Mike, you could do this. Mike, you could do that. You know, at the last the minute, forgotten they'll like, man. Yeah, they'll be like, why don't you bring some two liters of soda? <laughs> you know, things that can't get screwed up. But what I want to bring yeah. is my favorite thing is the jellied cranberry sauce. Oh. I love it when it comes out of that uh, can. The can. I'm going to sit there and eat it. Uh, it's it's the best. Don't you love it? No. I no. don't like cranberries. And, and, uh... You don't like cranberries? No. Why? Because I, I certainly don't like anything that looks like a can when it comes out. Really? Uh, you, I, it's a big glob of goo shaped like a can, like a tin can. It's been rubbing up against tin can for Lord knows how many months on a shelf somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it comes out, and that's not its natural color either. I guarantee it's injected with that red dye number 27 or whatever the heck they call that well, stuff. It's not, uh, no, I don't like it. It's not, I don't think it's good for you. You got, you know, the tin cans, they got aluminum stuff. I mean, it's not, you know, that can't be healthy. KMOX, the 2023 large market radio station of the year. Recognized by the Missouri Broadcasters Association. KMOX, we were built for this. And welcome back to KMOX, the Hancock and Kelly show. We're with you every Friday. We take you up to 10 o'clock. Then we join the uh, Chris and Amy show. Guess what? No Amy out of town. I got a bone to pick with you and uh, Ranji well, today about old Amy Mark's course. I'm taking all this nonsense about travel. Well, you do travel. Uh, she bit. travels more than anybody I know. Heck, uh, we have retired people on the radio here more than Amy Mark's course. Charlie Brennan, he pops up all the time, yeah. So this is our regular political segment, and John, whatever will we cover? Uh, of course, uh, the ongoing conflict now almost close to four weeks going on in Israel since the brutal attack, uh, terrorist attack by Hamas. Uh, of course, Israel has started to respond now in Gaza. As a result, we have Anthony Blinken uh, asking for a humanitarian pause. At the same time, we have... Uh, Dick Durbin from right across the river here in the St. Louis area asking for a ceasefire. In the midst of this, the Republicans uh, and the the United States House of Representatives under their new speaker have passed an Israeli aid bill, John. It includes all all the uh, aid for Israel, but it also causes cuts for the IRS, IRS, and then, uh, you know, it's going to the Senate and it's dead on arrival. Yeah, and here's I'm I'm encouraged by this. Uh, Mike J- Johnson, the new House Speaker, was able to put a package on the floor that united his caucus, and he got it out. So the House has passed an Israel aid package, and you're right; it's got the, the principle of paying for it is is a good principle. I mean, we've done so much spending over the last six years. Uh, that that hasn't been paid for, and I think the principle is good. Now there's a debate over whether cutting the IRS actually does fund it because the resulting decrease in income, revenue, yeah. right? Right. Uh, so that I'm going to set that debate aside. Uh, the The principle of this thing is that you're going to pass aid and you pay for it in the same bill, and that was sufficient enough to get it through the House, and it was a win for for Mike Johnson. You are correct. The final package isn't going to look anything like that. It's not going to have the IRS provision in it. It'll have the $14 billion for Israel. And the Senate is likely to wed that with aid for Ukraine. So the question is going to be, when that package comes back to the House, will Johnson be able, he's, it's going to have to be a bipartisan coalition then that would pass the Israel-slash-Ukraine aid in the same bill Uh that's going to be the real test for Johnson. If he's able to get that done, then I'd say he's off to a pretty good start. 
Yeah, and of course, the Republicans in the United States Senate are all over the House saying, hey, look, we can't separate Israel and Ukraine. They need to be passed together. Yeah. Uh, that's the other underlying message that's going on between House Republicans yes. and Senate Republicans. Mitch McConnell is a legislator. And whatever you may think about him, he's a good legislator. And, and the point he has made, and it's a good one, is that this bill provides an opportunity, if we're really serious— that the border is underfunded. Uh, the only hope there might be to get adequate border funding done is to marry that with the aid to Ukraine and Israel and also uh, emerging aid to Taiwan at this time. That's the wild card there. What's that all about? Well, I, I don't know. We're going to we're gonna visit with Colonel Jeff McCausland next hour and, and find out. My sense is that there's concern that the— that Taiwan is vulnerable right now with all of this chaos in the rest of the world. But but it's interesting, McConnell thinking like a legislator, saying, is there a mechanism to get border security done? Because that's something that Republicans in the House want. And if you put together a package that has aid to Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and border security in it, then uh, there's an expectation or, or a chance, I guess I should say, that something like that could pass and that would that would give everybody a win in the package. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that uh, this isn't the first time the Republicans have said, hey, we ought to pay for this aid stuff by making cuts. You'll remember Hurricane uh, we Sandy. had Hurricane Sandy relief. Yep. And then all of a sudden amnesia took place when Donald Trump became president. True. And the idea of paying for stuff goes out the window. It only seems to matter when there's a Democrat and the White House. Well, that is true. I, uh, I can't argue that point. But I do think as a matter of principle it makes sense that – Congress, you can't just keep spending money without reducing the size of government at the same time. No. And and we may only be responsible when there's a Democrat in the White House, but at least we're responsible then. I mean, it's, you know, it's not a Partly, great argument. I don't know that anybody would call the House Republicans responsible with the way they've behaved the last year or so, but that is what it is. Uh, the Israeli conflict's playing out here in St. Louis as well. Cori Bush, a congresswoman from St. Louis, uh, continues to be an advocate for the Palestinians, and many people argue Hamas and saying her rhetoric is anti-Semitic and is helping contribute to that. She is now facing a primary opponent against St. Louis County Prosecutor Wesley Bell. Wesley Bell upset uh, Bob McCullough and the election, had announced, John, that he was going to run for the United States Senate right. uh, against Lucas Kuntz. Really didn't do much. Didn't make a lot of uh, noise. Made an announcement, didn't yeah. raise any money, had no public exposure has now made a calculated decision, probably encouraged by many donors inside the Democratic Party, to shift over to run against Cori Bush. Two questions I have is, number one, in a Democratic primary, can Cori Bush be defeated and this progressive movement be defeated? And number two, is Wesley Bell going to actually run a campaign? Because if the Senate is the Petri dish for how he was going to behave, he didn't do much. No, there's no question about that. Uh, and it, let's assume he does run a real campaign. I think that I think the hill is very steep for him in a Democratic primary. The reason, because in August of 24, you're going to have very spirited Republican primaries for governor and for you uh, for attorney general. Both of them are going to be very high dollar. Both of them are going to be very public, and both of them being on the ballot are going to make it. Very difficult in the first congressional district to get much, if any, Republicans to cross over and vote in the Democratic primary. And so if you're going to try and take Cori Bush out in a primary, doing it in a presidential cycle makes the least amount of sense to me. 
you're going to have the smaller Democrat turnout um, on in August. Cori Bush, by all the polling I've seen, is extremely popular among Democrat voters in her district. And I, I mean, it's going to take a Herculean effort to defeat her. Now, Wesley Bell is probably going to have substantial resources, national resources. And I think this race is kind of a microcosm. I think you're going to see these kinds of primaries across the country, these pro-Arab members of Congress. You know, Bernie Sanders had a primary opponent last cycle uh, over this very yeah. issue. And and I think this is a burgeoning divide in the Democratic Party. And the, the Cori Bush-Wesley Bell case will be uh, exhibit A in, in many instances. Yeah, also interesting because many people would have thought that Cori Bush and Wesley Bell were kind of aligned. They both kind of ran under this progressive well, umbrella. They did. And now they find themselves uh, in opposition to each other. And here's going to be a common refrain, refrain people are going to hear from you and I between next August, between now and next August. The elections in Missouri really come down to the primaries. I know we all go participate yep. in the generals. But if you want to see true change and who's leading you, you've got to go out and participate uh, in the primaries because that's deciding who's going to be our— I, I do think there may be another path here if the objective is to defeat Cory Bush. I'm for it. Uh, the, the way you defeat Cory Bush is you're not going to defeat her with the Republican in the first congressional district. It's, just, it's not noble. Nope. You might be able to defeat her with a strong, financed, independent candidate uh, who can appeal to Democrat voters and, and anti-Bush voters. And the one thing encouraging that in 2024 is we're likely to have record turnout in the presidential election. If you expand the electorate as large as you can, then all of a sudden, the passionate support that Cori Bush does have inside the Democratic Party uh, becomes less impactful. It becomes minimized, watered down by a larger electorate. And a well-funded independent candidate would have, I think, potentially wow. a chance to beat her. What an insightful comment that is. It, uh, one, number one, I completely agree with it. Number two, it'll be interesting to see if anybody plays that tactic. Heck, maybe Hancock and Kelly will announce yeah, I'm not running for uh, as independents. And, John, uh, we do know that Donald Trump's running for president of the United States when he's not in court. Uh, he's uh, airing his grievances against every judge in the four or five cases that he finds himself in. But watching the news last night, I noticed that Donald Trump was the fifth story on the national news. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be killing him because it seems that his entire political campaign was going to be around showing up in court every day. And all of a sudden, with everything else that's going on in the world, he's getting pushed back in the news cycle. He is. And it probably, uh, well, look, I think he's got the primary nailed down. He's. I think he's going, there's a 99% chance that he's going to be the Republican nominee. And he has used these court cases uh, to argue that he's being persecuted unfairly. A number of his voters believe that to be true. And, uh, and they, the, the kind of actions he's been taking and getting these sanctions and gag orders and fines uh, is helping him politically. I don't think it's doing him any favors legally. You know, usually if, if a lawyer had a client that was engaged in that kind of <laughs> rhetoric, the, the you wouldn't need a gag order from the judge because your your lawyer would tell you to shut up. Right. You're hurting your case. And I don't know that Donald Trump particularly cares about hurting his case because what he's doing is helping him politically within the GOP to sew up the primary victory. 
Well, it will be interesting to continue to watch, and wouldn't it be nice for him to not be a part of our political conversations going forward? Speaking of conversations that continue, Tommy Tuberville, the former football coach down there in Alabama, Auburn. now our United States senator, continues to hold up all the appointments uh, to uh, military branches across the country. It's finally, after almost a year of this nonsense, aggravating Republicans inside the Republic in the United States Senate saying, Tommy Tuberville, you're putting the United States in danger. Yeah, just poor timing. And, you know, he's made his point. There are great needs to, to fill these positions and to allow the advancements to go up. When you shut down advancements in the military, you're also taking a potential beating to recruitment for the military, which is already in a in a very difficult place. So I do think there's a growing sentiment that his tactics, uh, while I'm sure well-intentioned on the front end, are, are doing damage to the country. And I, I think you're going to find that that dam's going to burst here in, in the next days or week or so. Hancock and Kelly will hold forth till 10 o'clock. Then we'll be joined by Chris Ranji. We've got a full show for you. We're going to be talking about a lot of the political issues that are affecting the state of Missouri and are being played out at a national level. And some deep thoughts. And we'll have some deep thoughts about what we think's going on in the world. Uh, don't forget you can uh, see us on Sunday morning, John Hancock, at 8.30 on Fox 2 for Hancock and Kelly, the television show. We'll be back after the news right here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. So I uh, follow this uh, web page yeah. or something on Facebook yeah. that puts old St. Louis photos. Yeah. One of them is do you remember the old Parkmore there on oh, the Clayton Park? Sure, yeah. Well, Great now, breakfast long spot. since gone, yeah. yeah, it was the breakfast place. But there's one that constantly pops up. Mm hmm. It's Musial and Biggies. Stan Musial and Biggies, yes. I, I obviously well. know who Musial is. Yeah. And this was a restaurant, I would assume. It Musial was, was a good one. A fine dining well. Who's Biggie? That was uh, that was Stan's partner in the business. <laughs> uh, Biggie. Yeah. I mean, uh, he wasn't a sports star? Or... No, no, it was Biggie. Uh, I think his name might, might have been Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. Uh, yeah, so, not, yeah. not sure exactly. You but, seem to uh, act like you know what you're talking well, about. Well, Stan, Stan and Biggie's. I mean, that's uh, that was a place where everybody went. Uh, I'm was, interested was, in who uh, Biggie is. Oh, he was a big deal. He was a Biggie. He was a big one, and uh -huh. uh, you know that was, it was not his given name. No, Biggie. Uh, -uh. uh But it was his. Uh, you know, everybody was affectionately known around town as uh, well. There goes Biggie. Hey now, and a uh, great guy for by all accounts. Never got to meet Biggie. You didn't. I didn't. No. Uh, but uh, but he was big. Being that you don't even know who he is. Well, it was uh, big. A Biggie. He was a Biggie. Uh, no doubt about it. Maybe one of our listeners, they seem to know a lot. They may know you can call or text, but I can't read the text because I haven't figured out the computer. Right. Uh, so you can call. So, John, strange times, right? We watched uh, Josh Hawley, the uh, extremist Republican, I would argue, from Missouri, who um, is uh, obviously was a big January 6th person, was working uh, to help overturn the election for President Trump. You would think that he would normally be an adversary of most uh, left-of-center causes. We had the auto strike take place right here in St. Louis, and who shows up on the picket line other than Josh Hawley uh, out supporting workers? I saw yesterday on social media that Josh Hawley was also visiting with the Teamsters Union. Makes me scratch my head thinking, here's a man who spent his entire 
uh, career as a Republican and even here in Missouri fighting unions, fighting left of center causes, he now finds himself being uh, a champion of those. Uh, what's going on? Well, I think I think yeah, we'll look back on this period in 20 years, assuming we're here in 20 years. And uh, I think we're in a period of partisan realignment in the country. Uh, not dissimilar to what we went through the last time uh, from between the 60s and the 80s, where there was a partisan realignment taking place. And you're seeing a lot of these populist positions. And, and Holly, I think, is probably one of the leading populists in the in the U.S. Senate. He also came out in favor of getting rid of the uh, uh, Citizens United case, the yeah. campaign finance case, which was a... Uh, you know, conservatives believe that political speech is free speech and you shouldn't have limited uh, ability to participate in that process of the spending of your money. Uh, that was a conservative position. Uh, but the populist position on that, the popular position on that is you want to get rid of the dark money. And that appeals, that particular brand of populism appeals more to Democrats. And you're seeing Republican populists begin to embrace some of those ideas. Yeah. Uh, like that. Yeah, and you've got, of course, the Ukraine funding. Uh, Josh Hawley and a lot of these populist candidates, if you will, are big supporters of the Israel uh, defense, but are saying, hey, we need to separate it from Ukraine. Almost uh, many people on my side of the aisle, including myself, saying they want to support uh, Russia or allow Ukraine to languish on its own. It's just this this whole movement. Is is that a populist position as well? It is, because the, the way you frame that argument is, why are we giving our good money to these countries that don't matter really? To I mean, that's the position. I don't hold it. But that it, it's a populist position. You you articulate something that sounds very, very good. and But, you, you know, in my opinion, if you step back and look at what's actually happening in Ukraine— the United States has every incentive to be involved and to stop the advance of Russia right there. And, it, and if we can do it by arming the domestic Ukrainians who are defending their country and not shedding U.S. blood, that is a far superior alternative. And if we could spend 5% of our defense budget to do massive damage to the Russian army, then, uh, I, you know, to me, that's a prudent use of money. But the easy argument is... We got our own problems here. We got right. borders that are porous, and we got people that are hungry, and here we're throwing all this money away. That's a very populist position. Yeah, and one of the other populist positions that's been now around since the early 90s, it continues to grow steam, is term limits. Yeah. Obviously, we have them here in Missouri. I think you at one time were a proponent of them. I've always been an opponent. I think they are doing great harm. Now there's a push to have term limits in the United States House, the United States Senate. So Even the in the United Court. States Supreme Court, yeah. this is a bad idea, but it's one of those that's very popular with people out there who may not understand. Yeah, you say we're going we're gonna to limit the amount of time these people could serve, and, and that, you know, gutturally is a very popular position. Many people like it, but it's, in a sense, it's also anti-democratic because you're robbing people of the ability to elect the person for whom they would like to elect. You're arbitrarily saying that X can no longer run for office. X can no longer serve on the Supreme Court. That is a limitation of of democracy, of the democratic process, in my opinion. And I don't think, in practice, as states that have adopted term limits, I think, have learned or are in the process of learning 
It doesn't equate to better government by any means. It empowers bureaucrats. It empowers lobbyists. And uh, it's not been a, a net benefit anywhere that it's been implemented. At least that's my thought on and it. And most of these examples, we've been pointing out populism on the right, but it exists on the left as well. Are the populists on the left and the right that far apart from each other? Not on a lot of issues. And that's and, and there is this emerging strain of populism in the Democratic Party. And Bernie Sanders probably uh, exemplifies yeah. that as, as well as anyone else. And uh, and so you've got a situation where the old lines of conservative and liberal have gotten very blurred, and I don't even think those labels apply that much anymore. One of our great listeners, Jimmy, has called in. Jimmy. We're going to go to the phone lines now. Jimmy, Jimmy, you're on The Voice of St. Louis. How you doing, young man? Good, sir. Hmm. Okay. So anyway, about Stan Musial and Biggie's originally... Dan lived on in St. Louis Hills, yeah, and he had a place on Chippewa, uh, right down from uh, Chippewa and Hampton, and that was his original place. I never met Biggie, but we used to have our graduations at Mellencroft School, eighth grade graduation at Stan Museum Biggie's, yeah, and he would come and give all those kids autographs. And he was a great man. Stan Museum was now Biggie. I don't know, but all I know is Stan Museum. And then he moved to Oakland. And they've had a nice place there. Well, we but appreciate this. So the the elusive Biggie. We still don't know who Biggie is. All right, Jimmy, thanks so much for your well, call. It sounds like memories. he may have been the money man. He wasn't. A, it's not like Deardorff and Hart's. We all know who Jim Hart was. We and Dan Deardorff we was. Do. We had Musial and Biggies. We all know who Stan Musial is. Maybe the biggest sports star to ever come out of St. Louis. Uh, although I'm sure Albert Pujols and maybe Brett Hall want to say something about that as well. Well, yeah, but Biggie was, you know, he was big. And you would think that <laughs> somebody out there would have run across Biggie uh, over the course of time. I could tell us about uh, the young lad. Who is Biggie? Well, who is Biggie? And, and, and for that matter, who is Chuck E. Cheese? And we'll step aside. If you know who Biggie is, it's 314-436-7900, We're going to get to the bottom of this. Hancock and Kelly on a Friday Right back after this on the Mighty Mox. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insterity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. And welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. We're on the elusive trail, sniffing out there like a couple of hound dogs, a couple of bloodhounds, <laughs> sniffing around to see if we can identify who the person of Biggie, that great St. Louis legend. Who was the partner of Stan Musial in the restaurant, Stan Musial and Biggie's. I posited my theory that it was a gentleman named Biggie Smalls. <laughs> We're going to go to the phone line now, and Ed may have a better answer. Ed, welcome to KMOX. Hi, guys. Uh, enjoy your show. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little older than dirt, so oh, I was around when this uh, they came together. Yeah. His name was Jack Garignani, Ooh, and he was a restaurateur. Ah, uh, right. okay. And, and well, the, that and makes in the name Biggie uh, was he? A, was he a, a he considerable? Was, he was uh, he was a little overweight. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, that makes sense because right, we have uh, the, the Albert Pujols restaurant. He was partners with Pat Hannon from right, that's Hannon's. Right. That's yeah, right. sure. And we know I mean, that. Now, uh, Brett Hulls was partners with the Pasta House and Kim Tucci, right. so that makes sure. sense. I just thought he yeah. might have been a did, sports star. Did Jack, did Jack have other uh, eating establishments, Ed? Do you know? Uh, no, I do not remember him having anything other than my first real knowledge of him was when he and Stan got together. 
Do you remember going to see Stan play? Yes, I do. Actually, I saw his last game. Is that right? Yeah, wow. yeah. It was crank and because of my wonderful brother, who's no longer with us, he he took me to Stan's last game, and that was just a tremendous excitement. Sportsman's you know, so. Park. Talk about the experience of going to Sportsman's Park. So, did you take the trolley? No. Uh, I don't remember how we got there anymore. Probably a car. Yeah. But it was, uh, it, well, interestingly enough, in my elder years, later years, my wife and I ran a trolley service in downtown. So, oh. uh, no, no, all about trolleys. But, uh, no, that was, it was an exciting day to see Stan. And he was, what a wonderful gentleman. And then I had the joy. Uh, I'm a, I'm also a Roman Catholic deacon. Yeah. And, uh, I would have the joy of giving he and uh, his wife uh, communion on Sundays. So, how uh, cool is that? How about that, Ed? That's a- exactly. It's uh, just a special man. What, well, par- so what much, parish? Guys. What parish? Uh, in in Macalada. Oh, Macalada. Right. Tell us Biggie's real name real quick. Well, I got again. it here. Gary Gary Nani. Jack Gary. G a r a g a n n i. That's how. Ed, I thanks it. so much for the call. Appreciate yeah, it. How about that? The, the, the See, listeners of KMOX know everything. So don't Jack Garagiani. A.K.A. Biggie. Biggie. Uh, we have solved that mystery, Michael. How about that? Yes. So, John, I have to tell you, I, I was traveling this week, as I know you like to point out. <clears throat> it happens every now and then. And continue to read all these stories about anti-Semitism, the hatred, the anti-Semitism that's on the rise worldwide. There's been lots of stories in the New York Times, the Washington Post, as it relates to um Jews who are going to get their license for guns, learning how to use guns, extremely threatened, uh, obviously. Um, And I go back to something that I I probably sounded pretty ignorant when I said it before, so I'm going to do it again one more time, which is that it's so hard for me to grasp this anti-Semitism and what's driving it. I get hatred. I get that there's hatred of people. Uh, you know, that the Chinese could hate the Japanese, the Germans could hate the, the French. Uh, and I get that there's people who hate the Jews, but it's always the Jews. They, they, since the beginning of time, they've always been the target yeah. of hatred, That's, almost universally yeah. across the world yeah. in, 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 in countries, you know, in both the northern and southern hemisphere, eastern and western. It's just a concept I can't grasp. I realize it's reality. I understand hatred for another, but why these particular people have been chosen to be hated is just mind-blowing well, I think there, I think there are two different things going on here. Uh, I think there is a historic hatred of Jew, Jews that goes back to the biblical days. If you study the Old Testament, you know that the, the Jewish people have been despised by their neighbors throughout right. the course of all history. And—, and uh, there are multiple theologic reasons for that. There are multiple historical reasons for that. And I think that exa- – and when you see the anti-Semitism on the hard right, uh, Nazism, you know, that that's part of that whole generational hatred that exists. And certainly between Arab and Jew, uh, that is very deep. But then the, the whole Nazism that arose in the 1930s in Germany – uh, it is kind of the spawn of that same seed. What's happening on American college campuses right now, though, I think is something different. It's happening on the left. And my theory on what's going on is we have now taught a generation of young people 
um, variously through this country that the United States is a is a corrupt in its foundation that they came in and they took over land that was uh, occupied by European other invaders. Yep, invaders, uh, murderers. Uh, they were genocide, you know, on on the Native Americans. They took over the land and blah blah blah. And that the, the United States is dirty in its inception and remains dirty to this day. They'll use the slavery issue, which is the great sin of America, to further that point. And we have now raised up a generation uh, of of young people who don't appreciate the exceptionalism of what the United States of America is and what it means to the world, and they transpose that sentiment on Israel, who was, in their opinion, forced into somebody else's country, given land, uh, and in that they've been, just like the United States, they've come in and kind of taken over. And, and I think that the way we have taught American history to so many young people, particularly young progressive people, it is a natural inference to draw that the United States was crooked in its foundation. They did horrible things to people, and Israel's the same. And I think I think that might be at the core of some of the, you know, animus that's, that exists on the college campuses. That's an interesting point. I, I've all, I know you all in particular. The right gets really exercised about college kids. I mean, I remember when I was in college. Kids are dopes. Let's be honest, right? I mean, you're, you you barely know how to operate your own body, much less your own brain, when you're in college. Uh, you're in there. You're 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 experiencing all these new things. They have wacky ideas. They've had them since the beginning of time, and I get that. And hopefully, you know, through the learning process, and then ultimately living, uh, you grow up. Who I hold fault with for this college campus stuff is kind of what you said: these professors and yes. these folks who run the place, yes. who have taken the idea that you should expand your mind and we all ought to have this, you know, wide berth of understanding and taken it to the extreme where they don't say, no, that's nutty, you're not doing this, we are going to behave, etc. The campuses have always been liberal. Well, they've been liberal since certainly the 1960s, uh, if not before. College campuses, whether they're public or private institutions, have a left-of-center bent, always have, and there's a plenty of professors there that hold... A variety of views, including pro-socialism. Um, there's a utopian studies uh, degree in most universities in this country. We can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, so that's not surprising. But what has changed is there used to be a common sense in this country that America was special, that um, not perfect, but special, and that we were the great hope, the beacon of hope for the rest of the world. And the democracy that we built 200-some years ago was a model for how self-government can work. And it was a model that was embraced by much of the rest of the world. Uh, Certainly all of Western Europe has embraced that. And countries throughout, whether they be in South America, uh, Central America, Africa, there are nations that have adopted that democratic ideal and we've exported it and supported it and promoted it. And I think we have generally been a positive force in world affairs. America is special. America is necessary. America is vital to maintaining world stability. We're not teaching that, and more of our people aren't believing that any longer. And I don't think there is a common consensus that there are the good guys of the world and the bad guys in the world. In World War II, the good guys were pretty clear. In World War I, the good guys were pretty clear. 
I think we've lost that sense right now, and, and that's driving a lot of these reactions that we're seeing. Are you surprised, I surely am, how deep and large this anti-Jewish thought process is, yeah. even in our own communities? Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, again, I'll go back to I understand hatred, and I understand people who have hated I had no idea yeah, that yeah. it was this prevalent. Now, many of my friends would say, hey, if you really pay attention, it's, you know, uh, when the protest takes place here in downtown St. Louis, it's 30 or 40 people. It's blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine and well. But when I see it happening in Manhattan and it's thousands upon thousands of people and it's happening in Paris and it's thousands and th- I, I, I'm just mind blown that it's as, this all, deep all, Go to Western Europe. Look at, look at Antwerp. Look at Paris. Uh, look at London. Uh, all of them are producing these folks, and I, I just, you know, it's very destabilizing. Gosh, we're out of time, but I, what's happening right now and the bifurcation of powers on the world stage, whether that be the Russians against democracy or Hamas against democracy, uh, potentially China against democracy in Taiwan, this is a very scary time that we're living in. There is no doubt about it. It's Hancock and Kelly. We're going to step aside. We're going to get a check on the news. We'll be back after this on KMOX. What defines us is who we are as a collective group and and, uh, how we progress and gain momentum through the season. The Coach's Corner with St. Louis City Coach Bradley Carnell. Mondays at 935 on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to Hancock and Kelly's show on KMOX. That's uh, Phil Collins. He doesn't play music anymore. Poor guy. He's got great tunes, though. Yes, he did. Did you know that uh, they're opening, um, is it Monday Night Football now with, uh, in, um, I can feel it calling in the air tonight. Mm-hmm. Chris Stapleton and Snoop Dogg. Hold on. Yeah, hold yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And I can feel this moment. For all my life. Hold on. Yeah, I'm holding on. Hey, that's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We, we spent a little bit of time, John, talking about the populism movement and kind of how Josh Hawley may be emblematic of it. Uh, going on. And then, of course, we've, uh, I, if you've listened to Hancock and Kelly, have lamented this whole progressive movement that's going on. And I feel like we now have proof of concept as it relates to progressivism. Because they're finally in charge. Well, they've been in charge for a while now. And my understanding of progressives is that they believed that government could play a larger role in really fixing a lot of the societal problems that existed. Mm -hmm. And their argument was, is we, if you elect us, we can go in there and function government plus add these XYZ services, programs, Ideas going to be wonderful and grow, uh, you know, a community and make it better. Well, utopia. So progressivism utopia. has been reflected, uh, by the way, uh, quite uh, boldly by these three folks. In fact, they even had a name for it. They called it Black Girl Magic, mm-hmm. uh, that was brought to us by Kim Gardner, the prosecutor of St. Louis, who well. went out. Yeah. Uh, oh, poorly. I mean, I mean, she literally got ran out of office almost universally behind it. Well, then we have Cori Bush, the congresswoman who took out Lacey Clay. Uh, she finds herself now at odds with most folks. And then Tashara Jones, who's the mayor of the city, is saying, hey, I'm going to fix policing. I'm going to fix the jail problem that exists in the city of St. Louis. We're going to invent and, you know, put these new homeless programs in place and things are going to get better. The reality is, is none of the ideas that the progressives have had have panned out. Have they been able to even execute? 
And furthermore, from my perspective, they failed on what they were actually elected to do as stewards of government to, I don't know, pave the roads, pick up the trash, police the streets. And so we're watching progressives, from my sense, fail right in front of us. Interestingly also, because we talk about these donors, many of the donors of progressives don't live here in the city of St. Louis. They find their residence out in Central County of St. Louis, wealthy people who have had ideas of how, man, we've got to fix this Del Mar divide. Liberals, we like to call right. It. Or they live in California and New York, and they've invested a lot of money. Now they sit here and they find themselves maybe as supporters of Megan Green and Cori Bush scratching their heads saying, wait a minute. I funded to put these people into office because I thought they stood for the things that I care about. And these folks now uh, in a failing government in the city of St. Louis have decided that ah, this is the platform I'm going to use to weigh in on the Israeli-Hamas conflict, etc. And so donors are now finding themselves maybe like, boy, maybe we've done the wrong thing. And I'm watching this backlash. Mm -hmm. Who could have seen it? Me. Uh, at, hello, me too. <laughs> Let me raise my hand as a Democrat, former uh, chair of the Democratic Party here in Missouri of elected common sense Democrats. Progressive wave comes in, and guess what? The world's falling apart. Who could have seen this coming? Well, you know, back when I was uh, considerably younger and <clears throat> much more handsome than I am today, full head of brown hair. Were you a Democrat? Tom Selleck-esque mustache upon my Oof. nose there. That's uh, nasty. I was studying political science, Michael, Uh huh. and there was a course offering. It was uh, The name of the course was Utopian Socialism. That was the, that was the course title. And... Uh, the course was taught by the professor there who looked uh, like the 60s had been rough on him. <laughs> and, he, and he taught the course, and it was about how <laughs> that we can, through politics, through political means, uh, through appropriate equality uh, and socialism, that we can actually create a, a perfect society, <laughs> a, an equitable society. Uh, an inclusive society, a diverse society. It's a utopia where people live together and nobody is poor, nobody is hungry, nobody is homeless, and and it sounds amazing. Sure. And and it has been embraced, and it's got a number of different names and uh, versions, but at its core, it's utopian socialism, and it's going to bring about this great new way of living. And I think... That that kind of theory it forms the concept of a lot of the folks that have been elected here in the city of St. Louis. They truly believed that if put in charge and if implementing these, you know, minimum income, we're going to homeless bill of rights and we're going to take care we're of. We're going to close the jail. We're going to get rid of that miserable, nasty jail over there. And we're going to create utopia. And what they've created is lawlessness, lawlessness, <laughs> decay, decline, a loss of population. And why is that, do you suppose? Because it doesn't work. Yes. And he, but here's the but, 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 but I, here's where I would differ with you. Yes. Is that it is a noble idea to want to solve sure. many of those yes. issues. But the 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 premise of being able to solve homelessness is you've got to keep the rest of the house of cards going. You've got to you know the the the, the taxpayers uh, who elected you. Weren't like, hey, you know, uh, I, I want you to quit taking care of the roads. I want you to quit picking up the trash and go figure this homeless stuff. They said, no, we want you to do this plus, plus, plus. 
But John, what we're watching is, is they're not even able to deliver on the things that they promised they were going to do. Now, the mayor's still pushing forward with this universal income, which yeah. is mind-blowing to me. We can't figure out how to spend the money for the Rams. We can't figure out how to spend most of the ARPA funds. We're continuing to defund our police in the city of St. Louis, can't yet find we find ourselves as the most crime-ridden city in the country. And then they're per coming capita. forward saying, okay, maybe those things are problem, but we're going to be about fixing homelessness. Well, the mayor just ran a bunch of homeless people off of City Hall. She's not fixed homelessness. She says, I'm going to fix the jail by closing the workhouse. And guess what? There's more people dying in the jail now than were there before Tashara Jones got there. And what's even more sad to me is the people who supported Tashara Jones, who led protests, who were out there advocating for we need to change the way we do things, are being silent as the very issues that they said were their cause could deteriorate. And by for that matter, deteriorate far beyond what they alleged against Lyda Crusen or Francis Slay or anybody else that was there. And meanwhile, uh, we've made a decision that we're not going to incent businesses to come here. Uh, you know, we're not going to try and attract companies to come in and actually employ people. In fact, we're going to pay people not to work uh, and give them a check every month. And we've seen our convention business here shrink steadily for years now. Uh, that's got an economic impact. You, you know, you walk, you walk the streets of downtown, you're not going to run into anybody unless they want your money. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, it's not a good situation. Socialism doesn't work. And look, capitalism is not a perfect economic system, but it's the best economic system the world has ever produced. And and, it, and it's the best, in my opinion, because it understands that human beings are inherently flawed and we're inherently selfish. It's, it's part of our makeup. We're, you know, a Christian would call it original sin. Uh, a psychologist would call it the, the broken man. I mean, we are a broken people. And capitalism recognizes that. Socialism believes that people are perfectible, civilizations are perfectible. Capitalism recognizes that we've got to create a system in which people are incented to proceed, to, to, to go and pursue their own best interest in a way that generates wealth creates economic opportunities, allows markets to exist in which a dynamic economic activity can occur, and allows people to improve their lot in life like that. Uh, there's problems with capitalism. Capitalism run amok becomes monopoly and needs to be regulated, but it is a far superior way to run a, a, an economy, a country, a city to incent and, a business activity. And so for those of you who are listening to us from surrounding counties and you think, oh, that's just the city of St. Louis. I don't, look, this stuff's, this stuff's spreading. It is. There are members of the St. Louis County Council who believe this way. They do. Um, there are members that, that are popping up on the other side of the river that think this way. We are rotting from the core. And what we've got to figure out, we're going to get a demographer on next week to talk to us a little bit about it. Mm. But St. Louis as a region is dying. And when I say dying, not only economically, we're losing people. We are literally dying. More people are dying than are being born in this region. So for those of you who sit not in St. Charles or Jefferson County and think, hey, this isn't my problem, guess what? It is all of our problem. What is going on in our region is causing us to rot from the core. And by the way, it's ultimately the state of Missouri's problem as well. And this idea that the Republicans in Jefferson City just want to throw rocks and use St. Louis 
as a football rather than helping us solve some problems, this will ultimately be their problem. And this is not a time for us to be divided. It's a time for us to be coming together to work to solve our problems. Otherwise, we're all not going to be here. Yeah, the demographics are not good. I have a plan, Michael. Yeah, what's that? If you're if you're an older St. Louisan, such as myself, let me encourage you to eat healthy and exercise. If you're a younger St. Louisan in your 20s or 30s, let me encourage you to have babies. And if we maybe <laughs> do those two things, uh, what we'll begin to see is it will begin to grow our population. Right. <laughs> With happy, thin, older people and uh, lots of babies out there going to schools. and. Uh, well, learning. I just hope they have a job uh, because yeah, that's the ultimate that. thing. The consequences that we're seeing is as jobs will evaporate because people are going to move to where they want to live, where they feel safe. Where is that right now? Nashville. I was at an event last night uh, for the Michael J. Fox Foundation supporting uh-huh. uh, research into Parkinson's disease and talking to a lot of the people of my vintage that were there. And I don't know that any of them don't have a child who has left St. Louis uh, and I'm, I'm talking to a dozen people. I just random kind of, you know, how, how are you? Nice to meet you. Do you have kids? What are they doing? That kind mm-hmm. of thing. Well, they're, yeah, she's in Denver. Right. Uh, she's in Austin. Right. Uh, he, he moved to Phoenix. I mean, it was my son's in Chicago. And, you know, that that is <laughs> thematic here in this region. Well, I'm a perfect example. I'm one of six kids, right? Yeah. Every one of us, because we're, you know, we're born before the 1980s, every one of us is still in St. Louis. Right. The kids of our kids, our nieces and nephews, unless they are a school teacher or a first responder, they no longer live in St. Louis. Well, there you have it. We'll have that demographer on next week. There's uh, a lot of new technology coming to our sports, Michael, but there's still a lot of old school left in it. We're going to break that down. When we come back, it's Hancock and Kelly right here on KMOX. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX. You still there? Yeah, I'm here, buddy. I work here. Did you watch a football game last night? I did not. I was at a fundraiser for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, What? which, by the way, was the first public performance uh, for me on a piano since before the pandemic. Really? Yeah, I think the last time I played the piano in public was probably at the KMOX holiday play, however many years ago that was. Yeah, that would have been pre-COVID. That's yeah. incredible. Well, uh, good for you that you yeah. were out raising money for little, those things. Yeah. How little, were you? Were you okay? A little rusty. A little rusty. So I, I stayed at home and watched, you know, the, 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 the football games now are on Prime, right? Yeah, and, that's and, ridiculous, too. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, the so, hockey game the other night. So we go out. Yeah. You know, I, I want to get rid of the cable. Everybody's cutting the whatever you call Cut it. Cut it. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm looking at it. Where can I go and watch the Cardinals and the Blues? And I, the answer came up, Fubo. 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 They carry Bally Sports Midwest. I uh, thought that's perfect. I'm in. I don't have CNN. I can live with that. Okay. Uh, I don't have the Lifetime Movie Channel. I can uh, live with good that. Good for you. I don't have TNT, Michael. Ooh, baseball. Which I could live with. Yes. Basketball. Well, so the baseball, I, I had a workaround because yeah. the MLB during the playoffs, okay. if it was on TBS, the MLB network, which I do get, uh-huh. had the Spanish language broadcast. <laughs> so I was able to tune <laughs> in. Blah, 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 blah. Profundo, profundo, <laughs> comedore. So you know, it was okay. I could, I could handle it. <laughs> yeah. I could live with it. But the Blues the other night, and they're not playing well. The Blues the other night were on the TNT, and I can't get TNT. And they're putting, they're moving my sports. I go get the Fubo so I can watch the game. And now they move the game to a place where I can't get it on Fubo. Right. 
So Not last anything. night I go through the rigmarole of pulling up the Prime on the Apple TV, and then you got to go pick your stick. I don't know if you know it. It's kind of cool once you do get there. There's three different streams you can watch. Oh, good for them. Number one is the main typical stream that you would see on a typical Sunday football uh, game, and there's stream. Al Michaels calling the game. Okay. Stream number two is in Spanish, you know, the football, football. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Profundo. And then the third one's this, like, next-gen stats. And I don't know what it looks like to explain it to you other than it looks like a video game. Hmm. So they highlight the players as the ball's going, and, you know, you can see who the offensive players are, et cetera, et cetera. Got I'm their watching, little names on there. Yeah, so I'm watching this, all this technology and seeing their names and stuff. Yeah. And now, John, the ball gets carried, and it gets taken right to almost where the first down line is, right? The yard of the yard to gain. The, yeah, that. right. And so – here we are with all this technology yes. at home, at the ball football stadium. The, the players are wearing chips in their heads, yes. their pads. You know how we measure whether or not a guy's got a first down? Bring out we the send gang. two 60-something-year-old men out there with a uh, device that was invented at least in the 1930s yeah. of the chains. And there they go, and they, they separate. The now, every one of us who's watching on TV can see the yellow line. We can see the yellow line. We see the guy got the first down. Yes. But, no, we're sending out Bill and Tom over there to stretch that little line. Well, <laughs> it's, that's, it's, 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 it's stupid. It's not it's stupid. stupid. It's America, Michael. It's stupid. No, it, it, here's the thing. You put that yellow line on the screen. <laughs> anybody can. You, you talk about an election being rigged. <laughs> I mean, how'd you like to be the guy that's in charge of the yellow line? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no science in that. You can move that. You can put the yellow line any place he wants to. Uh, what you can't put any place you want to, Michael? Okay. Is that chain link? Then you got Lord. the pole there. So you got now. The only thing I've always wondered about the chain link. You sound like a union guy. You're protecting the chain guy's yeah, job. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I'm arguing, and let's well, get rid of them. Because we know one thing about the chain link. Uh huh. We know it is exactly ten yards. Ten long. yards, right? Okay. You know, it's exactly ten uh -huh. yards long. I mean, right. they, we've got the ability to make that happen, and right. we do. But my question is. In order for that 10-yard chain to be truly accurate, it's got to be completely parallel to the sideline. Right. It, and so that means when you place the chain on the field of play, you've got to place it at a point certain, and it's where the ball is spotted on the hash mark. Uh-huh. And so the chain at the other one end of the line has to be in the same place on the hash mark as the chain at the other end of the line. Otherwise, it's not truly 10 feet long. Wow. It's it's maybe it's ten feet point oh oh one. Maybe it's nine feet point nine nine eight. Wow. And so and and that then requires the person who paints the hash marks. So let's get rid of the doggone chain. No, because the yellow line's a problem. <sighs> it, it requires the person to place that makes the hash marks to mathematically, with great precision, make the hash marks exactly the same length. In exactly the same spot, so they line up exactly the same way on the field. That is genius. It requires genius to make this happen, and that is why I like the chain gang. Okay, you're wrong. Hey, we got just a couple of seconds left. Right. Uh, you and I, uh, did you watch the World Series game, Game 5? I did. I did, too. We were probably the only two in the country. Apparently, they had the worst ratings it's a good ever. Game. It's it was game. an excellent game. There's a no-hitter going into the seventh. Zach Gallon, the Cardinal. Yeah, but what was uh, one thing that came out of this uh, World Series that I hope becomes a staple of yeah. covering the games yeah. is the umpire cam. 
They put a little a GoPro little, right yeah, on the roof on of the, the, the umpire. Yeah. And when they would hit a home run, they would show you the replay from the umpire's head. It was awesome. It would be so cool to see Bush Stadium from that perspective. I hope that's what we get. That's what we're going to get with Chris Ranji because he's coming up next when they get it here on KOX.